Today on Blue 58, the Packers are shuffling the deck chairs as they deal with a COVID outbreak, and as a result, there's a parade of players coming through Green Bay for tryouts. We'll give you the who's who of what could be a slew of new faces, but first we pay tribute to a football icon. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, happy to be with you here for another episode. Want to plug our charity drive as we are coming right down to the end of 2021 here. You've got until December 31st, uh, at the end of December 31st, to get your donation in if you'd like to be included for this year's charity drawing. Seven prizes up for grabs, the biggest one, a jersey of your choice, purchased by me for you from the Packers Pro Shop. Uh, but there are other prizes beyond that. Any dollar amount gets you in, and we appreciate any dollar amount that you would choose to donate. So check out the details in the show notes here and uh, get your donations in. As of right now, we have $2,350 in donations that have come in uh, through your generous activity over the past couple of weeks. I appreciate it a lot and uh, just encourage you, if you're considering it, go ahead and dive in. Uh, We'd love to have you. Got news shortly before I sat down to record today that John Madden had passed away at the age of 85, and I thought we would be remiss if we didn't take a few minutes to talk about Mr. Madden, his impact on football, and his impact on our understanding of the game. I don't think there's anybody who has had a bigger impact on how people understand the game of football than John Madden. I don't really know if you can understand or overstate or even really fully understand, I guess, as I make the most of my own misspeaking there, what he meant to football and making it more popular, taking it from a thing that was growing and growing steadily to something that was a household name. He became a household name through his impact and work on the game of football. And I have had mixed feelings about John John Madden, John football, John Madden over the years, um, partly because as a broadcaster, he came across as a little bit of a blowhard. And when I was younger, I didn't always enjoy that because it seemed like he was trying to make the game about himself. But as I've learned more about him and about how he approached football, I realized that was an error. He did not approach the game that way because of trying to make the game about himself. He approached the game about that uh, that way with that enthusiasm, with that, you know, the booms, the the pows, the Uh, the telestrator drawings, things like that, because he cared about football so much. And he wanted other people to love football the same way that he did. And he wanted you to also understand what really mattered in football and why. And I think you saw that in the video game that bore his name and still does. The story has always been that EA came to John Madden in the early 90s or whenever it was with a proposal for a licensed game using his name. And he shut him down in their first pitch because they said they wanted it to be seven on seven football or eight on eight football, whatever the, the, the number was, because that was standard for the time. Uh, think like playing Tecmo, Tecmo Bowl or Tecmo Super Bowl or whatever. You don't have all 11 players on the field, but he insisted on having 11 on 11 football because that was real football. That was how football was supposed to be played. So EA Sports goes back to the drawing board. They come back when they have figured out technically how to do 11-on-11 football. And he says, okay, I'll put my name on it. And you know the story from there. And I don't think people always grasp how big an impact a game like Madden has had on the popular understanding of football. 
because even if there are some aspects of it that kind of hinder our understanding, you know, roster building, substitutions, things like that, the fact that you can pick up a video game or could pick up a video game, I still can, I suppose, for more than 30 years now or 30-ish years now that has real authentic NFL schemes and plays in it, and you can see how those work on the field and what defenses work against that and you know, those, those layers of strategy, that's huge. And I think we've seen that over the years change how players actually play the game. People, now that the game has reached a certain level of sophistication, or I guess I should say has been at a certain level of sophistication for some not, some time, understand the game better and can understand concepts better because of the game. And that he was willing to throw down the gauntlet and say, this is how the game has to be if you want my name on it, probably accelerated that timeline by who knows how long, five years, 10 years, long enough that that very quickly became the only way you could have a a football game on the market. Real football being played like real football teams play. Now, we can't say on its own that Madden changed the equation because let's be real sooner or later somebody was going to release an 11 on 11 football game it may actually have happened by the time Madden came out but they released a really good one and it had the backing of a guy like John Madden I think about stuff like that a lot actually Uh, somebody was going to do this it just happened to be him but there's a key part of that you know think about other other cultural phenomenons throughout history. Think about a band like the Beatles. Somebody was going to become the first absolute juggernaut boy band. It was going to happen sooner or later. That's just the way the culture was going. You know, the the countercultural aspects of, of what they did, things like that. Sooner or later, somebody was going to be a version of that. But as it so happened, it was the Beatles. And they were able to have an impact beyond just a boy band. We've seen them come and go throughout history all the time. They were able to have an impact beyond that because they were musically talented. They put together good songs. And as a result, they've had this enormous lasting impact since then. I think John Madden is like that in a lot of ways. Sooner or later, somebody was going to make an 11-on-11 football game. Sooner or later, some coach was going to get into the broadcast booth. It had happened before Madden. It happened after Madden. But John Madden had this unique confluence of qualities that made him truly larger than life. And again, he just cared so much about football and making you want to love football too that it's hard to really understand him beyond this caricature. Because he just became this caricature. But inside, I think there was this guy that just really wanted people to love football. And that has really rubbed off, I think, on a lot of people, me included. For a long time in my life, Madden was all I had for football. I went to a really small high school. We didn't have a football program. So Madden and digging into the details of it, the schematic stuff and all of the team building aspects and, and everything was really all I had for a long time. But because of his impact and continued involvement with a game like that and because of what he did in the broadcast booth and trying to popularize the idea that you could learn about football, people like me, and I can't be unique, were able to 
really get into football in ways that they might not have been able to otherwise. And I think that's his lasting, lasting influence on the game. Sure, popularizing it is one thing, but just making it accessible for more people is huge. And I think anybody who does that deserves to be recognized, hopefully in a small way. Blue 58 and the Power Sweep are able to do something along those lines. I want, at at a, a very small level, I guess, to do that same kind of thing for you that John Madden did for me and so many other people. I want you to enjoy football and love football the same way that I do because I, it's an absolute blast for me. I've enjoyed it for as long as I can remember. And I want you to enjoy it and have fun with it too. So that's why I do something like this. And I, I know that's why John Madden did what he did. So it, just a huge loss for the world of football in losing him the person. But his impact is going to carry on far beyond even, even his death now. We're all going to benefit forever from the work that he did in the world of football. Switching gears entirely to talk about the Green Bay Packers. Got to have just a quick chat about COVID, I suppose. Because if it's not happening to the Packers already, it's going to happen sooner or later. The, the big outbreak seems to be hitting team after team after team just because of how this new variant is so contagious. The good news is uh, it seems to be you know less serious if you get it. But the COVID list is already getting pretty long in Green Bay, and sooner or later, it seems like we're going to have a situation where the Packers are really affected in a big way, just volume-wise, by the number of infections they have. As it stands right now, the list is pretty long. Amari Rogers, Ben Braden, Chauncey Rivers, Kevin King, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Oren Burks, Shamar Jean, Charles, Tipa Naliai, Ty Summers, Ladarius Hamilton, and R.J. McIntosh all on some version of the COVID-19 reserve list. In the case of Chauncey Rivers, he gets a double whammy because he was already on injured reserve. I like them apples. Tore up your knee, Chauncey, but guess what? You get to be part of the pandemic at the front line level too. Awesome. If this ends up being the big big outbreak, and it seems to be trending that that way. It's only Tuesday right now. Between now and Sunday, who knows what can happen. But if this ends up being the big outbreak for the Packers, I'd say better now than later. And the Packers even are going to benefit from the NFL changing its protocols even further because guys can now come off the COVID-19 reserve list after five days if they're asymptomatic. And that is where the curtain slips a little bit for the NFL. Because as much as people have protested the way that COVID has affected games, the NFL is clearly ready to take action now. Because the asymptomatic designation is now going to depend entirely on the players reporting their own symptoms. You got symptoms? Nope. Uh, I am over everything that was going on with COVID. It was just is going to be your word against, uh, well, nobody's, I guess, uh, as to whether or not you have COVID-19 symptoms. If you're vaccinated and you don't have any symptoms, or I guess if you even if you're unvaccinated and don't have any symptoms, I guess that's going to be the way things are. And it seems like that is the way that things are trending in sports as a whole. I don't want to take a position one way or another on, on what the protocols should be at this point. I do think that's one of the things where Aaron Rodgers has had a case from the start. What are we doing here? It doesn't seem like uh, there's a consistent way of implementing things. Um, 
it doesn't seem like uh, all of the strategies are designed to reflect the reality of what's always going on, though I think that these most recent ones are coming a little bit more in alignment with that. Because um, by and large, it doesn't seem like the way that things are being treated now are all that different from where we were in March 2020, which seems like a mistake in, in some cases. So at least the NFL is responding. And I think the best thing you can do at this point, if you're trying to make sense of all this, is just hold on and see who's available on Sundays. Um, don't get too worked up trying to understand the ins and outs of when people come off the list and how. Uh, trust your local beat reporters on that and then just see who's in the lineup on Sunday. Uh, because the best thing I think the Packers can have happen right now is that uh, people basically just get it and get off the list uh, because that gives them some freedom from testing for a while and that prevents them from going back on the list. But COVID is coming one way or another and the Packers, it's better, I suppose, that they deal with it now than in the playoffs. As a result of all this COVID stuff, the Packers have a bunch of personnel stuff going on this week. They've got a bunch of guys in for tryouts or workouts or things like that. But first, uh, the Jaguars intend to interview Nathaniel Hackett for their available head coaching position. This should not be a surprise for you if you've been paying attention. If you've been listening to this podcast, it certainly isn't because I wrote about it and talked about it in January of this year. The sooner or later, the Packers are going to be losing assistant coaches from the Lafleur regime. You go 13-3 and three, and then 13-3 and three, and then we're headed for another 13 or 14 win season. People tend to take notice and want some of whatever it is that you've got going on. And Hackett's number appears to be coming up first. And it's easy to see why. He's been around for a while, just in the NFL. He's been with a successful organization for a while. And he's been getting some very public credit for what's going on with that successful franchise. So the interviews are going to come. He was well thought of in Jacksonville while he was the offensive coordinator there. Kind of ended up taking the fall for things not going well in Jacksonville when they you know, had a really terrible roster. He did ring one good season out of Blake Bortles, though it wasn't quite enough as they came up short in the AFC playoffs. AFC championship game, no less, but can't really feel too bad about that. A lot of people, believe it or not, have come up short against the New England Patriots. To me, what's more interesting is not that he's getting these interviews. It's trying to figure out what happens if he ends up leaving. I think it's already likely, if not a done deal, that the Packers would try to promote internally if and when he does end up leaving. Taking over at offensive coordinator, it looks to me, just from the outside looking in, like Adam Stenovich or Luke Getze would be the logical choices. Uh, because you're looking at a non-play-calling offensive coordinator here, because Lafleur calls the place, so you're looking at more of an offensive consultant. So between those two, somebody's probably going to be offensive coordinator, and given their profile within the organization already, somebody probably gets promoted to assistant head coach. So I wonder if the Packers don't try to just promote them both this offseason, if Hackett would end up leaving, and make Stenovich the assistant head coach and run game coordinator and Getsy the offensive coordinator and pass game coordinator. Cause it seems like most teams like to run their offensive coordinator, or have their offensive coordinator more involved with the passing game. That seems like the logical way of shaking things out. If Stanovich moves up to a bigger role, they've got a ready made replacement for him and Luke Butkus, who's the assistant offensive line coach. Just keep that continuity going. But I think you want to keep as many guys in the building as you can and promoting within is a way to do that because guys, the rule is you can't you can block interviews for lateral moves, although I wonder about the wisdom of sometimes of doing that. But um, you can block lateral moves. This obviously wouldn't be a lateral move for um, 
for Hackett moving to head coach in Jacksonville, it would actually be a demotion. Uh, so the Packers have to, um, what would, would allow them to do that if he, if they wanted to interview him, but you know, they could theoretically block it because working for Jacksonville from practically any franchise is actually a demotion. I'm joking, obviously. Um, it, it's a, it is a promotion, but the thing I wonder about with this, with a guy like Hackett is whether or not he wants to be a head coach. It seems like he does, uh, but maybe it's not Hackett. Maybe it's just some other coordinator. Why is it taken as a given that guys want to become head coaches? Being an offensive coordinator is a great gig for one, but for another, maybe guys just recognize or have, have had the opportunity to recognize having been a head coach before that they don't want to be a head coach. For a couple of reasons, I could see why that would be the case. First, head coach is really a get hired to get fired sort of thing. Sooner or later, you're going to lose your job. It happened in Green Bay. Mike McCarthy won a Super Bowl and he got fired. There are virtually no situations like Bill Belichick is going to have, where he's basically got a job for life and you know he won six Super Bowls, so why wouldn't he? Uh, Mike Tomlin, too, is kind of the exception that proves the rule. You're going to get fired at some point if you're a head coach. You get fired a lot less often as an offensive coordinator, though it does happen. But secondly, maybe you just don't want to deal with all the stuff that a head coach has to deal with. If you're a coordinator, especially if you're a non-play calling coordinator like Nathaniel Hackett is, you get to do a lot more football nerdy type stuff. You get to just get in the weeds and figure stuff out, find solutions to problems your team is having. I think that's probably attractive for a lot of guys. You don't have the pressure of being a head coach. You don't have to run a whole program. You don't have to figure out how practices run or give press conferences every single day or whatever. You get to just do the football stuff, and maybe that's appealing for some guys. So I wish we could get the NFL media to just sit back a little bit and say, oh, maybe maybe some of these guys don't want to be head coaches that are always showing up on, on NFL head coaching lists. And I wish more guys would be open about the fact that maybe they don't want to be a head coach. Because I know there's got to be guys like that out there. Maybe they're they're content being an offensive coordinator because that's just what they want to do. Just a thought. Anyway, the guys that are in town, we're going to run through this list pretty quickly because the Packers have had a bunch of guys in for workouts this week, at least five. Uh, first up is Devontae Dedman in for a workout from Canada. 5'10", 185, most recently of the Ottawa Red Blacks. I've got no testing data on him because, well, just because. Uh, but he was an all-star returner in the CFL this year. He had five return touchdowns in his first career, uh, first 15 career CFL games. Played his college ball at the relatively small William & Mary. Packers fans will recognize that name because it produced Darren Sharper, but the less said about him, the better. Uh, Got to think that Deadman is in as a potential um, kick return, punt return option. Uh, does have some experience playing in the backfield in the CFL, but you got to be wary about how that translates to the NFL because the game is just so different there. Next up is Kareth White in for a visit. Uh, the Packers kicking the tires on him. If that name sounds familiar, it's because he was on the Packers practice squad for about a week earlier this year. He was signed to the practice squad on the 16th of November, released the 25th. We don't have to recap his game fully, but the finer points is that he's pretty small, 5'10", 204, probably a touch smaller than that, just looking at him. Very fast, though, 4.36-4.37 range in the 40-yard dash at his pro day and has experience as a kickoff and punt returner, and they're probably looking at him exclusively in that role uh, for the time being. On the other side of the ball, you've got Aaron Adeoye in for a workout. He was on the practice squad in October. 
an edge rusher, and the Packers need some help on the edge. They got to have bodies there uh, with some people on the COVID list. Six foot six, two hundred fifty nine pounds, Mister Adeoye. Um, not like wildly productive. Has not had a ton of of reps in the in the NFL, but he's kicked around a few different organizations, and of course was with the Packers earlier this year. Nick Gugamos also in for a tryout this week. Six foot five, two hundred thirty one pound tight end. He was a college wide receiver. Went to St. Thomas. In Minnesota, I'm actually quite familiar with St. Thomas. They were in the conference that uh, that my school was in in college, uh, which was a D3 school not all all that long ago. St. Thomas was, but they have been making the climb up to D1 for football. Uh, plays tight end again after playing receiver in college. He's bounced around a couple practice squads. Has never really made an impact in the NFL. Finally, Adrian Ely in for a, a workout this week. Six foot six, three hundred twenty pound offensive lineman, a tackle. Played at Oklahoma. Went undrafted this spring. Since then, he has been with the Ravens, Broncos, Rams, and Ravens again, released from there yesterday, from from the Ravens yesterday. Uh, Just want to call out again that there are at least two connections to the Baltimore Ravens here. The Packers have some deep front office connections to Baltimore in the form of Milt Hendrickson, Uh, so always good to keep an eye on people who have had some interest uh, from the Baltimore Ravens as potential people who could end up in Green Bay, and that seems to be the case Again, before we answer a couple of listener questions, I did want to take a second, as we do every Wednesday, to shout out this week's sponsor of the podcast. Once again, the sponsor for today's episode is you. You have sponsored this episode. We accept no ads at the Power Sweep or Blue 58, and we never will. That is because we want to be entirely listener-supported, and we are. And if you want to support us, head to patreon.com slash thepowersweep. Join us there. Uh, help us continue to do what we do without relying on the support of advertisers who may not have your best interests in mind. I think about that a lot as I hear a ton of daily fantasy sports stuff in podcast advertisements. You listen to sports podcasts enough, you're going to hear daily fantasy sports, which is just shorthand for gambling. And I don't necessarily have anything against gambling, although I think it you're playing the odds, you're probably going to lose. Uh, but I am a little bit wary about any commercial that has to have a disclaimer in it and a helpline for something that you could become addicted to. See what I'm saying? Uh, So we are not going to be accepting advertising money from anybody like that or anybody at all because we prefer to rely on your support. And we appreciate your support, and we appreciate everybody who takes the time to to support us and uh, support what we're doing. So patreon.com slash thepowersweep. Uh, if you support us, you'll benefit from the bonus content we release through Patreon, and you'll also have a chance to join our Discord server, which is a great place to hang out and chat with football fans from all over the world. And as a natural segue from there, I've got a couple questions from Discord users that I would like to close the podcast with. Carl Anderson asks, how many different players have started for the Packers so far this year, and how many have taken snaps? I heard the Saints set a record for 57 different starters this year, and the Titans were up to 86 players taking snaps at one point this season. Good question. Player participation always worth uh, keeping an eye on. And uh, who is doing what in terms of getting into the lineup for the Packers? So here's what I can tell you. So far this year, the Packers have used 68 different players on offense, defense, or special teams. On offense and defense alone, 45 different players have started at least one game for the Packers. Most of those are on defense because you tend to use a lot more different players on defense given your your personnel groupings, given the fact that uh, you use... Um, you know, player types, you know, like cornerbacks or defensive backs or defensive linemen, where you just tend to have a lot of bodies at the position anyway, and a lot of guys get hurt. So you shuffle a lot of guys on and off the field. It's been a lot. 
and the Packers have used uh, a bunch of different players there. Relative to past seasons, the Packers are a bit higher than average, but not much. I've got data compiled for you going back to 2018. In 2020, the Packers used 71 different players on offense, defense, and special teams and had 39 different starters on offense and defense. In 2019, they were unusually healthy. They only used 60 players, second fewest in the league only to the Buffalo Bills, who used 57 that year, and they had 39 starters on offense and defense. 2018, the last year of the Mike McCarthy regime, the Packers used 69 players throughout the course of the entire season and had 46 different players start on offense, defense, or special teams. So there you have it. Uh, Packers are fairly unhealthy this year, but it's not that big a historical outlier. The bigger problem is who they are missing than the amount of players that they are missing. Road Design, ROH Design, uh, writes in his question, uh, this uh, a question that came to me as I listened to the latest episode of Blue Fifty Eight uh, is that do, is is do we as Packer fans that know every detail have a blind spot in that we know too much about our team's flaws while often downplaying our team's strengths? Are there ways to reduce this kind of blind spot? Excellent question here, and this is something that I have to remind myself a lot as I work on this podcast. I think two things that we can do. To reduce this blind stop, first blind spot. Excuse me. First, recognize that familiarity breeds contempt. That is a, an old saying that is typically applied to relationships. I have not really found that that is the case in my relationships. Maybe it's just because I don't have that many friends. I'm kind of an introvert by nature, so I tend to not associate with a lot of people. Uh, but generally, the friends that I do have, the more familiar with them I get, the more that I want to be friends with them. And hopefully, that is the case for you as well. But I think in sports. You get familiar with the with the team, you minimize your strengths, and you magnify your weak spots. So first, just recognizing that this is something that you are going to do naturally just by following your own team, um, you, you will put yourself ahead of the curve. So this question alone does a lot towards recognizing that. And I think just recognizing that in yourself, that you are going to perhaps overrate the strengths of your own team or maybe minimize the strength of, of your own team sometimes. Uh, well, um, seeing the weaknesses as, as giant, terrible things uh, when they maybe not the worst things in the world um, is, is a good first step. I'll give you an example here. One of my whipping boys for a long time was Jarrett Bush. And Jarrett Bush was limited as a player on defense. But I think I had an outside opinion of the negative qualities he brought to the Packers defense just because I saw him every week. Because in reality, everybody's got a fourth or fifth cornerback that is probably about as good as Jarrett Bush was, which is to say, not very. Um, They're just, from the simple fact that there are 32 NFL teams and every NFL team needs at least four or five corners, just run the math there. How many elite corners are there in the NFL? Okay, Uh, start doing the counting there. How many guys like Jarrett Bush then are going to end up on an NFL roster? The answer is, without running the numbers exactly, a lot. Uh, Most fourth, fifth corners are not very good. But stepping back, comparing him to the league as a whole, you realize he has a lot of value on special teams. He's out there giving you maximum speed reps every time the Packers have a kicking play. Uh, Punt coverage especially, he was out there uh, just going guns blazing down the field, um, getting to the ball making tackles in the open field week in, week out. And that is a unique skill in the NFL. But that is the sort of skill that can tend to go unnoticed 
if you are merely focusing on how bad a guy can be on defense when he gets on the field. But in terms of overcoming that blind spot, I think the the easiest solution is just to read widely. Or if podcasts are your thing, listen widely. I've got a sneaking suspicion that podcast might be your thing. Uh, but if you'd rather read your information, read broadly. Read other teams' writing. So I'm a subscriber to The Athletic. That's a great place to get a bunch of centralized information about the league as a whole. But you also have the opportunity to drop other teams' writing into your feed. So I subscribe, just as a rule, to all of the other teams in the NFC North's blog. And then I typically go out of my way to read a little bit of writing from um, whoever we happen to be playing that week uh, ahead of time, just to get a feel for what they're talking about, their conversation points uh, prior to the game. But if you read what other teams are writing and read what other teams' beat writers are saying about their team, uh, you can get an idea much more readily of how the Packers stack up against those teams. Secondly, find some good objective league-wide sources and really compare the data. Football Outsiders does a really great job with their data. And I think whether whether you agree with, with their methods or not, it is at least a data-backed methodology that they're starting from. So when you look at their methods and, and understand their methods, you can at least start from a something resembling a baseline of objectivity. And you can see where the Packers shake out relative to other teams. And the best thing that you can do is when you're reading those things and you see something that doesn't quite make sense to you or seems off, ask yourself why. What about that is off? What doesn't square with what I'm seeing on the field? And then start trying to find some other information, try to put some some more context to what you're seeing. But getting the opportunity to, to get that context starts with reading widely. And reading widely starts with finding some good good league-wide sources to look at. There aren't a lot of good league-wide sources, so I'd start with ones that approach things from a data perspective because that's going to at least give you some semblance of objectivity. Uh, but but starting from that standpoint is is going to, to do a lot for you. That's all I've got for you in this episode. I appreciate you listening in. I appreciate everybody who has donated to our charity drive. Just one last shout-out there for this episode to remind you uh, to participate if you haven't yet. We'd love to have your donations. We'd love to support these Green Bay Packers charities and uh, get as much money to them as we can before the end of the year. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, I would incur- encourage you to share it with someone you think would enjoy it as well. It's going to get more people involved in the conversation we're having around the Green Bay Packers and ultimately help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.